Welcome to GW Integrative Medicine, the podcast about disease prevention and health promotion from the Office of Integrative Medicine and Health at the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences. I'm Janet Rodriguez, the office's administrative director. Today, we're joined by certified nurse midwife, Kimla McDonald, an associate clinical professor here at GW, and Anjali D'Souza, MD, an assistant clinical professor here at GW as well. Our topic is going to be integrative and functional medicine in women's health. Um, both of you did an amazing Grand Rounds a few months ago with, with uh, one of our co-hosts, Dr. Um, Misha Kogan. And uh, I, I thought immediately we need to have you on the program to talk a little bit about what you talked to, to a pretty full room, which yeah. was impressive at what time of the morning was that? It was very early. 7.30. Yeah. <laughs> Every Wednesday. Yes, it's excellent turnout, though. Yeah, Yeah. I was very, very happy. So let's get to it. How do you incorporate integrative medicine into women's health? Um, Maybe before I answer the how, I'll take one step back and say a little something about the why. And the why is really because I feel very passionate and believe very strongly that The body is a dynamic organism and systems interact with each other. And even though I very much value my medical education and think it's super important and informs me every day, the way I was taught was to think about symptoms, disease states, and treatments that are typically medications and are typically very focused, right? They deal with one mechanism or one receptor. And it fails to kind of think about this complexity or dynamic nature of the body. And if that works, that's great. But a lot of times it doesn't work. And worse, people end up on multiple medications and are living with side effects of their multiple medications. And so that's what inspires me to do the how I integrated is the why. And the how is kind of being passionate about it and then thinking about every case from this system's perspective. And so people do multiple questionnaires when they come in so that I can see what are the different systems in their body that might be uh, you know, offline and how those interact. And then I can think about making a very comprehensive treatment plan that honors and acknowledges all of that. Whole health. Whole health, Yeah. Totally. Kimla? Well, I come from a midwifery training perspective. I went to nursing school, and I agree that uh, so much of health is not just responding to the symptom that someone might have, but looking deeper. And, And I think the midwifery model of care tends to be a more holistic view, also taking into account when you're, you know, going through menopausal changes, you're struggling with, you know, the onset of menstruation, you're pregnant, you're postpartum, you're breastfeeding, all these states that women go through, they're emotional, they're, they're taxing emotionally and physically. So you can't just look at one body system. And yeah, I think as Anjali said, it's a very dynamic system. And I think the way integrative and functional medicine approaches it just makes so much sense. It's really what I thought being a doctor was before I went to medical school. <laughs> Just being honest. Yeah. True. True. Uh, we, we often, um, we have so much of a nutrition focus on the podcast because Dr. Frame's um, background. And um, every once in a while, we just have to bring up uh, the study that showed that before 
uh, a student gets into medical school, they think nutrition is important. Mm -hmm. Then they get into medical school, it's no longer important. Mm -hmm. Then when they graduate and they're in practice for a while, guess what? They come completely back around to the, oh, nutrition is important. I wish I knew something more about it. Yes, yes. So when did you decide to adopt this approach? Or is this an approach? I mean, with midwifery, it's part of how you're trained. And you went into um, a little bit when with your prior response. Mm -hmm. But during the grand rounds, you shared a personal story with us Mm -hmm. um, about your life. Mm -hmm. Could you? Yeah, sure. I'm happy to share. I mean, I think um, I'll just say that I was fortunate enough to grow up in a family that really honored traditional practices. And so we looked at food and botanicals even when I was a kid and we did not go to the doctor very often. And so I thought, well, if I know this and I go to medical school, maybe I can blend the two of these things. That was kind of the idea. But really, this became very palpable for me when I became a patient, as you were mentioning. And it was two years after my first child was born, and I just felt not well. I mean, I was still going to work. I was functioning from, you know, from an external perspective. I think everyone would think I was totally fine, but I was not sleeping. I was stressed. I was really tired. My hair was falling out. I was constipated. And I thought I must have low thyroid. I must be hypothyroid. And I went to, you know, top internal medicine doctor in DC who did a bunch of tests and essentially told me that I was fine, that everything was normal. And the readout was essentially that I should probably seek out psychotherapy. Um, And it just rang hollow for me because that was just it didn't resonate. It was completely empty. Old school hysteria diagnosis? (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) Uh, And this is what just got me totally obsessed with functional medicine. So I was always doing kind of holistic care and integrative medicine. But as soon as this happened, I just dove deep into functional medicine and was able to recognize through testing and, you know, looking at my life more closely that I was massively nutrient deficient, my adrenal glands were offline, and that there were things that I could do to actually feel vital and well again that had nothing to do with medication. Um, And more importantly, how many people are potentially dismissed like I was that this was like a psychological issue when in fact there were physiological imbalances in my body that needed attention. Mm -hmm. What were some of the things that you did? So part of it was recognizing that in my craze after having my first child, I just wasn't eating well, right? I was eating like healthy things in air quotes, but I wasn't eating enough for nursing a kid for two years, basically. So I was nutrient deficient and I basically went back and just revamped my whole eating style and was really intentional scheduled breaks in my work routine. Imagine that to actually eat Um, and, and recommitted to my meditation practice, which also just went offline after I had my child. And then I started myself on some adaptogenic herbs. So ashwagandha specifically was the one that I used for myself, which helps balance the cortisol response and it helped me get back to sleep at night, which obviously is when we do all of our restoration. And so, you know, over the course of a few months, even, I was feeling so much better. It was pretty amazing. We'll talk after the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I've reached a certain age. (laughs) Those are all our secrets. Yeah, there's a plan for that. Yeah. (laughs) A few plans. (laughs) 
What does the scientific evidence tell us about the use of botanicals um, to treat um, something like menstrual cramps? Well, besides botanicals, there's actually a lot of things out there that have evidence that support um, efficacy with dysmenorrhea. Uh, Acupuncture is one. My personal favorite is ginger. So, you know, I give people about a thousand milligrams of ginger three times a day, and that works incredibly well for menstrual cramps. Uh, Vitamin E in combination with high dose omega-3 fatty acids can also be very helpful for, for cramping. Um, And then all the other good stuff, right? Getting good sleep and um, making sure that your diet is anti-inflammatory and maybe even removing things, doing an elimination diet specifically to identify food triggers. Uh, And for someone who has low progesterone, you could even think about using something like Vitex or Chaseberry that has good evidence as well. And and I think what's interesting is the very long traditional history of herbal medicine. in, in terms of modern medicine looking at, well, is there a double-blind, randomly controlled placebo mm-hmm. trial on that? And there are some. There's a mm-hmm. lot of research out there that you can find. Um, black cohosh, for example, there's been over 140 studies, I think, on, on that herb in particular. There's just statistical uh, studies that have shown promise for things like valerian and cinnamon also for dysmenorrhea. Ginger certainly has been studied a lot. But it's, again, it's understanding how these came to be traditionally used medicines. They were trial and error by local communities who had the plant, who knew about it, who used it over and over and saw how it affected people. And that traditional knowledge was passed down through generations. And so I, I, I was always um, interested in, in that mode of knowledge and that, that ecological understanding that I think traditional people give us. And I think there's a fear that, like, and I can say this from my own experience, that when I went to medical school, there's kind of this idea that we should fear supplements and we should fear botanicals and they are bad and they are dangerous. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you the number of times that I've you know, gotten on the phone with the, and a clinician who's very well educated and very good and cares about their patient a lot that gets really upset with me about using something like green tea extract, for example, right? Like it's it's a food-based substance that has been shown to be efficacious for a lot of different things, and yet they'll get really upset about it. And I think it's because there is this attitude that because there isn't the double-blind, placebo-controlled, randomized study, that it's something that we should run away from. Well, and that's and, unfortunate. Yeah, and certainly... You know, the lack of sort of standardization sure. and regula- regulation of herbal products in this country, they're not treated as, you know, medicines are treated as supplements. So they're, but the industry itself is very aware and very, very pro, you know, wanting to make sure things are, are what they say they are, that they're not adulterated. Mm-hmm. There's a tremendous amount of work and study that goes into that um, yes. on an industry-wide level. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me that if you do your homework and you seek out good supplement companies and you understand their reputations, you can get supplements that are safe and, um, you know, efficacious. Mm -hmm. Pure and and good quality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I will give one of my favorite apps a plug right now. It's the NIH's Herb List. Mm. It's a mobile app on herbal products. It's all the information that you can find on the website of the um, National Center for Complementary and uh, Integrative Health Mm -hmm. 
all in one handy dandy app and you can download it um, from any um, app store. And once again, it's called Herb List. So Herb List, one word. That's great. And hopefully your um, colleague mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. might be listening or hopefully found it on, on his own. <laughs> now, uh, what are there any recent research studies that have you both going, ooh, or aha? Oh, I, I just got to tell you about the one I read recently. Uh, it was a looking at breast cancer risk. It was a joint study by University of Buffalo and the University of Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico has lower breast cancer rates than the mainland U.S., and so they wanted to kind of look into that, and they looked at um, nutrition, and particularly they looked at onions and garlic. So there's a Puerto Rican dish called sofrito, which is, you put it on everything. It's chopped up onions, garlics, tomatoes, it's, it's, and peppers. It's the base, it's the Puerto Rican version yes. of the Holy Trinity yes. in Louisiana cooking. Yes, mm-hmm. and um, it's, you know, a lot of people eat it. They found in their study, uh, it was about 400 women that they looked at, if you ate it once or twice a day, they 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 found a almost seventy percent de- decrease in breast cancer risk. Wow! I mean, onions and garlic. Mm. Is there anything more that tells you food is medicine? <laughs> well, I mean, they they're high in sulfur components yes. that help with detoxification. Mm-hmm. So you're going to improve your estrogen metabolism. It all kind of makes sense. It's mm-hmm. a Lower very the inflammation. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And that's what's so interesting about food and and herbs. Mm-hmm. It's not just an isolated substance. They, you know, the various compounds yeah. in any food work together. Mm-hmm. They work in your body. And I think it's it's just you know something that we haven't the science to really understand. That's why there is a lack of research. It's coming. Well, I hope you're right. <laughs> well, the whole entire thing with the microbiome. Well, absolutely. And oh yes. The whole body health, and you know that is that's the future. Yeah. The the other research study that caught my eye was um, looking at supplementing uh, women from early pregnancy through six months postpartum with a. Um, uh, Lactobacillus, mm-hmm. uh, the Rhamnosus species, mm-hmm. yes. decreased postpartum depression mm-hmm. and improved mood. So, on that too, I saw actually recently one using zinc. So, looking at zinc levels in postpartum women with depression, um, even if they were in the normal range, if they were on the low end, so below 100, supplementing them to 100, basically resolved the depression wow. without giving them antidepressants or anything else. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, that's pretty amazing, too. Yes. We've, we've, we're talking about all this wonderful evidence-based information, um, and some of it has to do with, you know, hundreds, if not a thousand or more years of trial and error to find out what things work when we're talking about traditional medicine. I was fascinated when I looked back through the PowerPoint that you all shared with me after your grand rounds. Um just the number of, of countries, do you do either of you want to touch on maybe some of the different traditional medicine in the different um, countries? Sure. Like what modalities are available in different countries or the fact that and we find sources of studies from other countries? Found, uh, 
both, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think part of that is related to what we were talking about, about this kind of fear and lack of standardization that we experience here. And so it's harder to to get studies done. But it's also that there's just no money in it. Right. Like who gets paid for that? Nobody. If I do a study on ginger, what big pharmaceutical company gets excited about that? I can grow that in my garden. Precisely. So part of that is, I think, you know, that that's an issue there. And I think in some other cultures, there's just a deeper respect for plants and for the wisdom of traditional medicine, Mm -hmm. right? So there's just a deeper interest in actually looking into that that we don't really value as much, right? And so I think that's part of what you're seeing there, why there's so many sourcing of studies from other countries. Um, and I don't, yeah, for Iran, particularly, there's a tremendous amount of, they have an entire university dedicated to traditional medicine. They have thousands of medicinal plants that have been identified and studied. Um, of course, China as traditional Chinese medicine mm-hmm. has a really long, long history. Mm-hmm. Ayurvedic medicine sure, from India. Yeah. Again, it's, yeah, we're, we're kind of um, an outlier in all of that mm-hmm. tradition. Mm-hmm. In this country, Native American people from, you know, all parts of the country have their particular medic- medicines that they have used. Um, black cohosh, for example, is a native plant to this, this, this area or this country. It's fascinating. I'll I'll see if I can share some of that information in our in our um, story notes or show notes for um, this episode. So, last but not least, there's a lot of nonsense out there concerning women's health. Uh, some of it even dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't name any names. Um, but can you give us some resources that providers and patients? can um, go to for good information? Mm -hmm. I think my favorite two sources for patients would be um, Sarah Gottfried. She has a website and a blog and Aviva Ram. I think both of them write really well, um, easy to digest, but also, you know, they're cited. There's links to the literature so that if you wanted to get very geeky about it, you could. (laughs) But um, I think those are really good patient sources. I think for clinicians, it really depends on how deeply you want to dive into this stuff. Mm -hmm. I know, you know, Kimmel probably has really good resources on botanical medicine. Um, But I I like the Institute for Functional Medicine. That's where I've done a lot of my training. Uh, There are conferences available that you can do from the comfort of your own home. Um, So that's a really good resource. And I'll let you maybe share some of yours. And they have a wonderful podcast. I forget the name of it. They do have a good podcast. And I'm also forgetting the name of it. Is it Evolution? Evolution Evolution. Medicine. Yes. Mm. Yes. Yes. It is excellent. It's very good. Um. Uh, one source that I really like for both clinicians and patients, I think, is Dr. Tori Hudson. Oh, okay. She's director of the uh, Women's Institute for Integrative Health, I believe it's called. She's a clinic director. She's got 30-plus years of academic and clinical experience. She runs a clinic in uh, Portland and does uh, in-person and online seminars. And she has a blog also where you search for anything, and she will tell you their latest research mm-hmm. studies and what she thinks of them and how they've been used in her practice. So that's an excellent um, Dr. Tori Hudson. Um, and then 
Right here in Washington, D.C., the Center for Mind-Body Medicine is an excellent resource. That I worked at the center. When Dr. I, Gordon. Dr. James Gordon. I worked at the center when I first moved to D.C. when I was training to be a midwife um, in helping them put together their Food is Medicine conference, which is still going on. Mm-hmm. They did a lot of work on complementary cancer care. Uh, they have trainings for healthcare providers many times a year. Just excellent. That's where I first met Jeff Bland mm-hmm. and found out about functional medicine and got my mind blown by his lectures. Mm-hmm. He's incredible. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, we should have him on the show. Yes. Oh, do you? Yeah, you gotta have a long time for him to talk. <laughs> He's amazing. <laughs> he knows so much. Um, but yeah, we that's an excellent resource um, of Dr. Aviva Ram, again, midwife and physician and botan- and herbalist, uh, Dr. Tirona Lodog, oh, yeah. who is also an excellent, she's written, uh, you know, compilation of complementary and alternative health research for women's health. And she has uh, Medicine Lodge Ranch up in the mountains of New Mexico where mm-hmm. she does in-person trainings and does her own herbal supplements and just has a lot of good We've posted things about her on yeah. our Instagram mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. the office. So that is all the time we have today. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you You're for welcome. having us. This is the GW Integrative Medicine Podcast from the GW Office of Integrative Medicine and Health. I'm Janet Rodriguez. Thanks for listening.